You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Justin Peacock received an MFA from Columbia University. He has a law degree from Yale. He's worked as an online producer at the New York Times, and he's a practicing lawyer. His first book is A Cure for Night. Thank you for joining me, Justin. My pleasure. Justin, I think one thing that strikes me as I was reading this book was, uh, at first I was wondering why there are so many lawyers who end up as writers, but then I realized that the two professions share a single skill, which is storytelling. Yeah, the book is very much, I think, about the way that storytelling plays into the practice of law. And to some extent, I think it's a, a look at the morality or lack thereof of, of storytelling playing a, a central role in, in legal practice and, and sort of the distinction between uh, storytelling on the one hand and, and truth-telling on the other hand, and <clears throat> the distinction that uh, certainly can exist between those two things. But I, I think any good lawyer uh, absolutely relies on storytelling as as a major part of what they do. Now, a, a, as your background here, it, you uh, received an MFA from Columbia. That's uh, a no small amount of work and a Master of Fine Arts. Were, was that in writing? Uh, yes, it was. So you were a writer first, and then did you become a lawyer? When did you go to Yale? That's a lot of education, a lot of work. What made you change course or seek the additional degree? I did get the uh, MFA in Columbia uh, prior to going to law school. And um, I'd been intrigued for, I think, intrigued with the law for for a while. And I'd been working in, um, I guess, in journalism at the time. I was working at the, the New York Times, as you mentioned. And uh, it was a very interesting time, I think, in terms of the intersection between uh, law and the Internet, and, and that was one of the, the things that got me uh, intrigued with the idea of law school. Um, and I guess I also am probably just one of those people who, uh, when in doubt, I go to school. So uh, maybe a little more education than is necessarily good for a person, but there it is. Well, tell us a little bit about your your law practice. I, this is not you haven't just worked on internet cases, although I think the internet is really where a lot of really interesting laws are being worked around and worked out. Um, we under, I understand that you've worked on death penalty defenses. H- how did you get? Where did you go when you went into law? I've uh, bounced around a fair amount. Um, but I actually had worked on a, a death penalty case uh, for a long time in law school. It was a somewhat high-profile case here in New York. It actually ended up being the last person um, uh, who was on New York's death row since they uh, have essentially abolished it here. Um, another job I had shortly after law school that I think kind of fed into the book was I was uh, what's known as a law clerk for a, a federal trial judge uh, in Brooklyn. And uh, about half of the cases that we had were criminal cases, and uh, Brooklyn does have a very uh, fascinating uh, breadth of criminality that goes on within its borders, and uh, we had a couple of high-profile mob cases and and a number of other, uh, I think, really interesting criminal cases. So that was uh, a job where I think I got a lot of kind of firsthand insight into sort of the the behind-the-scenes of uh, of, uh, how the criminal law plays out. Well, one thing that, that interests me is that um, a, a, as a 
student of Columbia and a student of Yale and a lawyer, I mean, you were living a fairly high lifestyle, but the people you're dealing with are at the opposite end of the economic and social spectrum. And I'm wondering if you could talk about how your explorations of the places where you might otherwise be uncomfortable walking at night. Yeah, and I think that is one of the things, again, that, that the book tries to address is, is sort of the disconnect between uh, the formality and, and sort of the language and, and the structure of, of the law. And, and when you deal with the criminal law in particular, the sort of messy, uh, very different sort of environment that, that the law is there to sort of contain or, or deal with. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think, in, in sort of the language of the book and, and how the characters interact, uh, trying to be very conscious of the fact that you, you do have these, these really two different worlds that are, that are intersecting, uh, particularly, I think, in a criminal, an urban criminal uh, courtroom. And, you know, it's something that, on a personal level, I, I tried to just get right to the best of my ability. I, I think it's, it, it can feel a little intimidating to, to address because you are sort of going across those lines, as you referenced. Um, but I also think if you live in, in New York City in particular and you're, and you're sort of open to the, the city, this is a place where all of us tend to uh, cross those lines really every day in one way or another. And, and, you know, if you go two blocks one way, I mean, where I live, if you go two blocks one way, you're in a very different neighborhood than where I am. You go two blocks another way, you're in a, a different neighborhood in, in a different sense. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the the great things about the city, and it's one of the things I try to, to really uh, express in the book. Uh, another theme that's key to the book is, of course, the, the war on drugs. We, we like to have wage war on nouns in our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experiences with the war on drugs. In, in your book, it intersects the, the book at two particularly different uh, places. In the beginning, with the downfall of your main character, and then in the meat of the, the matter, where with a pot dealer who's charged with murder. Yeah, there's an intersection in, in the book in the sense that the, the narrator, um, who's one of the, the lawyers defending the case, has himself uh, essentially uh, almost uh, destroyed his career and, and indeed himself with a flirtation with serious drugs and, and uh, has lost his uh, job at a high-profile law firm and has almost lost his license to practice law and is essentially trying to uh, get back on his feet both uh, personally and professionally and uh, finds himself uh, doing so by taking on a case where uh, drug dealing and, and drugs plays a, a central role. Um, I don't know that the book has anything. It's certainly not meant to be a, a message book on on the war on drugs, but I, I, at the same time, I do think it expresses the sort of uh, endless and, and hopeless uh, nature of, of fighting such a war. And, and uh, you know, I think there is meant to be a, a certain, uh, I guess, irony in the fact that the, the sort of this vehicle, potential vehicle for the, the narrator's uh, redemption, if you will, comes from uh, a case that, that also ties into the very thing that, that led to his downfall. Uh, it, it really interests me, uh, uh, your uh, ability to explore 
the 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 senior side of, of Brooklyn, and, and I'm wondering if you talk about what kind of research you did, and if when you were um, practicing law, were you thinking of writing about that which you were doing? I think to some extent I was. Yeah, I mean I'd been writing. You know, my writing predated my my ever practicing law, and I think sort of it was deep enough ingrained in me that that whatever I sort of experience or observe, you know, becomes grist for the mill in that sense. Um, and, you know, the, the book really involved doing all sorts of very different kinds of research. I mean, obviously, sort of the day-to-day practice isn't research as such, but plenty of that went into the book. Um, you know, and I, I'm also a firm believer in, uh, I think it's Richard Price who said, uh, hanging out as, as a form of, of research for writing a book. And you know, simply going to sort of the environments that you're writing about without an agenda and just sort of spending time there, uh, you know, in the back of the room, as, as it were, and, and seeing what you can see, I think, is, is something I enjoy doing and, and spent time doing. Um, and, and then, you know, even doing legal research as to some of the issues uh, that came up, which uh, is something that I, I ended up doing in a couple places in the book. Um, it, one thing that... that makes, I think, uh, books uh, of this nature particularly interesting is the, the trial dialogues. Uh, we all like to read a really snappy, quick dialogue. It may, it's easier to read. It's more fun to read, I think, often than, than some of the than, you know, long narrative passages. Um, I, but trial dialogues are, are very different. They're a little more formal, and they're also recorded. Yeah, and I think it was something that, well, it's interesting when you practice law, particularly, say, when I was clerking, you, you actually read trial transcripts with some frequency. And, and one of the things you, you see that I tried to uh, capture in the book, and I think it, again, goes to this idea of sort of the, the intersection of these two different worlds, is, is that the lawyers often are serving almost as a, as a translator, uh, putting into sort of the legal terms uh, what people are saying, because the way that normal people actually express themselves doesn't necessarily fit within the, the sort of categories or paradigms that, that the law is looking for. Um, but I do think it, it can also be a challenge in terms of, of doing uh, trial uh, dialogue to uh, keep it snappy enough because you, you don't want it to, to start reading like it's simply a transcript. And, you know, it was one of the things in sort of editing the book and, and working on the book to try to really keep that as sort of, keep it, you know, trim that down a bit and then keep it sort of as, as lively as possible and, and move, you know, moving the, the story forward as much as possible. Um, when you started writing this book, how, how did you go about this? Did you write out an outline or, or did you just sit down at page one and start scribing away? Unfortunately, I am very bad at out, outlining uh, fiction, and it's something I'm trying to get better on at because I think the alternative is, is you run into a lot of dead ends and uh, uh, <laughs> waste a lot of your own time. But uh, for better or worse, I, I tend to uh, pretty much start at page one and see where I go. I mean, I, I have some sense. Uh, I had some sense of where the story was going, but uh, really only a vague sense. I, I was probably... Uh, I'd actually probably completed an entire draft of the book before I, I had a clear sense of how it was going to end. Um, and it, it really was something where 
I, I tend to write a little bit. I tend to write a certain amount, get stuck, start over again, go a little further, get stuck, start over again, and hopefully at some point, you know, actually get to the finish line. Um, were you practicing law when you started writing the novel, or were you just focusing on the novel or working at the New York Times, or what were you doing it other than writing the novel? I was actually practicing law full-time uh, the entire time that I uh, wrote this book, um, which I don't recommend, <laughs> but uh, that was uh, the reality of it. And it, it probably uh, no doubt added a, a good deal of time to the amount of time it took me to do um, but it was basically a book that I wrote uh, at night and, and on weekends. Uh, there, there's a, a racial component to, to this novel as well, and, and I'm wondering if you could talk about how you handled that as a writer, as a researcher, and just how, how it felt to you to, to be going where you weren't. Well, I think one of the advantages of being an unpublished writer is, is you don't necessarily have the uh, fear of that that maybe a published writer would in that you don't actually have the sense that anyone's ever going to actually read it. Um, so it wasn't something when I was working on it that I, I was particularly uh, self-conscious about, um, although now that it exists as a bucket, it's obviously something that you know I have to face in a different way, I suppose. But again, I think part of it is if, I think to write about New York City with any degree of, of honesty, um, and particularly to write about uh, the criminal justice system in New York City with any degree of honesty, uh, you, you simply have to address race. Um, you know, it, it just is one of the, if not the, kind of dominant uh, issue that, that sort of echoes throughout any uh, criminal courtroom. Um, and I, I think not to address it is, is sort of just to, to be dishonest about, about your subject. Um, and as to sort of going somewhere where I'm not, you know, I think that is what fiction is, is there to do. Um, you know, personally, I'm not someone who's particularly interested in, in reading a, a completely sort of navel-gazing, uh, you know, how I spent my childhood sort of first novel. Um, and I'm much more interested in, in sort of uh, social fiction or, or fiction that serves uh, uh, to to address the society in a, a larger sense. Um, and so, for for better or worse, to me, you know, in writing about this subject, it was it was basically unavoidable. I think that that race be a, a fairly explicit part of that. We've been speaking with Justin Peacock. His first novel is A Cure for Night. Thank you for speaking with me, Justin. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.